Philippians chapter 4 and 1 Samuel chapter 30. So a story is told about a pilot who always looked down intently on a certain valley in the Appalachian, in the Appalachians, or the Appalachian Mountains. And when the plane passed overhead, one day his co-pilot asked, What's so interesting about that spot? And the pilot replied, you see that stream? Well, when I was a kid, I used to sit down there on a log and fish. And every time an airplane flew over, I would look up and wish I were flying. But now I look down and I wish I was fishing. Listen, it is always tempting to think that others have it better than we do. That if we just had a little more, everything would be fine. But contentment cannot be achieved by increasing possessions. Because we know nothing will ever be enough. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you this morning, dear God, allowing us access to your word, to life, dear God. Lord, I pray this morning, dear God, as we are in your presence, dear God, that you would open our spiritual hearts, our ears, dear God, for what you have for us this morning, dear God, that you would give us revelation, dear God, of contentment, no matter the circumstances of life, dear God. We thank you. We glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach about being content when you hate your life. Listen, we see the perfect parallel with Apostle Paul as he writes, encouraging the church at Philippi or the Philippians. Listen, there was once, there will come a time where you will be that pilot. You'll be the pilot of your plane and you will look, you will look at others. You will look at what God is doing in other people's lives. Or you will look at what other people have achieved in their life. And desire that you would rather be there than where God has you right now. That it will affect you so much that it will bring you to a point of misery and dissatisfaction. That you will look at other people's lives. Or you will see people prospering. Or you will see marriages flourishing People's walk with Christ flourishing. You could look at things around you and say, you know what, I wish I was there. You would be like that pilot that at one point in his life, he was looking at that pilot, looking at that plane, saying, you know what, I wish I, would, I wish I was flying. I wish I could fly a plane. And then later on in his life, he's flying that plane. Now he is miserable. He is dissatisfied where he is at in his life and he looks down at that stream and said, you know what? I wish I was fishing instead of being here. There will come a point in your life that you will face that. Like Jesus said, when the storms come, when the trials come, he is making a declaration that you will face these trials, that you will face a moment in your life where you feel that the driving force at once propelled you forward is no longer moving you in that way. It's no longer moving you the way it, that it did. We see sometimes that that fire, you know, there's people on fire for God. They have this zeal. 
They have this passion for life. They're just thriving. They're moving forward. They're continuing. They're believing. Then they come to this point in their life where that fire, that zeal has been snuffed out. It's like a little lamp or a candle that it's about to flick around. You just go and you go, and just, it just stops. It's no longer burning. That fire, that passion is no longer burning in your heart. You just don't care about life anymore. It comes to a point where you even hate your life. God, this doesn't make sense. Church again, and this again, and this, and this. I'm just done with it, God. And that's why I've said it time after time. And as God brings more people, and as we contend, and as you flourish in your walk with God, you're going to hear me say a lot of things again and again. But that is why it is critical we don't walk by feelings, but we walk by faith. Many times as I preach, you're like, man, that again. But you know what? We have to first master the small things in life. People want the meat of the gospel. People want this, God, man, let's talk about the, the great white horses and the seals and all this different stuff. Yeah, you haven't even mastered the smallest thing. You haven't even read your Bible. That the Apostle Paul, listen, a great mighty man of God. If you look in your in your Bible. Listen, the Apostle Paul, mighty man of God, tremendous man of God, tremendous testimony. He experienced this in his life. He went through this himself. And we see it pinned for eternity. What Paul wrote is here for eternity. The Bible tells us that the world will pass away. This world at one point will no longer exist, but the Word of God will always remain. And it is there for us to learn. So let's go back 65 years after Christ was resurrected. Let's travel back in time. To after Christ was resurrected. 65 years later after His resurrection. This letter was written while Paul was in prison. He was apprehensive that his execution was close at hand. Also Paul was in prison. And we get locked up and we feel like, Oh man, the world's going to end. That is it, man. I can't believe I'm locked up, man. God, why? That God always has a greater purpose for us. Paul already knew uh, my, my, my time here on earth is already coming to an end. He already knew his execution was close at hand. And yet, somehow, he was still hoping to visit the Philippians again. You do a study on, on this book. He was so hopeful that, you know, one day I might visit you again, knowing that his days were drawing near or drawing to an end. Paul explains. How he was imprisoned. Paul was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. They arrested him because he was preaching Christ crucified and resurrected. That he welcomes the death for Christ's sake. He says, you know what? I know I'm going to die. I, really, I, I see death around the corner like Biggie said. I see death around the corner. And he was, con- he was concerned equally to continue his work evangelizing the word. 
Listen, you imagine prison back then wasn't what prison is now. Now prison is like uh, a retreat. You got AC, you got lights, you got three meals a day, you got your little toilet, you got your showers. Back then, it was it was bad. Do a study on what prison was like back then. It's nothing to what it compares now. But yet, Paul was still evangelizing the word. He was encouraging those outside in the world instead of them encouraging Paul. Paul was encouraging those that were free. He was concerned with preaching the gospel while he was in the state. Paul exhorted his readers to remain steadfast in their faith and to imitate the humility of Christ who emptied himself and became obedient unto death. We know Christ said, not my will, but let your will be done. That Christ said, if this cup could pass, don't let me die, God. But he said, you know what, God? I want to be obedient unto my death. Obedient even to death on a cross, which is laid out in Philippians uh, 2, verse 7 through 8. So a student of the Bible will examine God's word to analyze the difficult situation these men and women were in. All the while allowing the Holy Spirit to inspire them to encourage others in a far less troublesome place who felt theirs were superior to the world. Listen, these people were encouraging others. Paul was encouraging others in a far less troublesome place that they felt. You know what? You, that's why when you talk to people, you, you don't understand where I'm at. It's like, Dude, I do understand. But they always feel that their problems are far superior than every other issue in the world. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that way about your problems, about your issues, where you are at in life? That your problems just exceed anything and everything else in this world. Sometimes we are gripped by these issues that you just feel like, you know what? That is it for me. I'm done. I'm tired of this. You feel like you're just done with life. That you hate your life. Man, I hate where I'm at right now. That's why you hear people say, man, I'm better off if I wasn't even alive. Why am I here, man? God, I contend. I push forward. God, I've done everything. Yet, why am I here struggling with life? God, I pray. I read my word. I come to church. Yet, why, God, why do I feel this way? That's why you hear some people say, I feel skeptical about God. Why am I going through this? Why have I witnessed these things? That everything around you no longer makes sense. We cannot make sense of the world. We cannot make sense of the issues of life. That all these things just don't add up to us. Sometimes you just feel depressed. I've been there. Where I just want to lay in bed and I don't care about anything else. I just want to be snuggled up in my bed. You know, I just grab my blanket and I just twirl around into a little burrito and I just curl up and you know, I don't care about anything else. I'm done. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to do these things. We are human and we will go through these things. 
I and many others have been there. Paul himself was there. David was there. Mighty men of God that I know personally, mighty women of God I know personally, have been there. Great preachers have said, sometimes none of this makes sense to me. And why? Why am I doing this? Why am I here? Why? They have been there. Is it okay? Yes and no. It sounds like an oxymoron. No, it's not okay if you choose to stay there. If you choose to stay there, no, it's not okay. And yes, if you choose to make a difference. Yes, it's okay if you choose to make a change through the gospel of Christ. Now, Pastor Luis was doing it. And we, through our fellowship, there's a program that they, they do called Choose to Change. You have to choose to change. That has to be your choice to change. Or you're going to choose to stay the same and not allow your life to be changed through the gospel of Christ. That's why we do this. We, some of these people we may never see again. But that's why I capitalized on that moment. I was telling that person, I would rather invest $40 in candy. $40 in candy and to preach my heart out for 10 minutes. I got this person in front of me. I'm going to preach my heart out to this person because I may never see them again. They might die this evening, that evening, and never hear the gospel again, but at least I did my job. So what are you doing? Oh, no, but, you know, dude, like, I would rather miss those $40 and preach my heart out. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. This is Paul writing to the Philippians. So keep this in mind. This is Paul being in prison, knowing his life is about to end. He knows his time is short. And this is what he writes for us to know. He says, I know what it is to be in need. So I want you to mentally picture Paul in this dark cell, chained up. If you do a history... Because of who Paul was. You know, when we hear, I'm out of the bondage. Back then, bonds were a, a cuff that they used to put on your head or on your wrist, on your ankle. And it was chained to a guard. A short chain to a guard. And every eight hours or every so often, they would change a guard. Because they wanted to monitor this prisoner, they wanted to monitor Paul because he had escaped out of prison already because God had opened the way for him and Silas to get out. So they monitored this inmate. They monitored Paul. So imagine Paul here chained to this guy. It's dark. It's wet. It's ugly. It stinks. They didn't have plumbing like, you know, so you could imagine. Imagine Paul writing this. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. This is a key element in the scripture. I have learned the secret of being content. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. In any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. Another translation, the King James says, a base. 
He uses the word abased. And if you do a study on this word abased, and you do a study in the Greek, it says to be depressed. Not emotionally, but to extract everything out of. Meaning Paul was saying, I know what it is to have everything extracted out of me. Every inch of my soul, of my body, of my spirit, I know what it is to have people take everything out of me, all of my investment. I know what it feels to be sucked the life out of. We know throughout the scripture, people left Paul, all his investment in people, and they said that they have forsaken me and loved this world greater than Christ. The people turned their backs on Paul. He was backstabbed by Paul, by, uh, by many others. Paul was backstabbed by many people. The word abase also means to bring low, humili- humiliate. That Paul felt the shame. He was embar- people embarrassed him. So that is a rich definition of where Paul was coming from. And it is crucial for you to learn. It is something that is learned that you have to learn to be content in every situation of your life. Every situation. Paul is telling us in every situation. And Paul tells us, I've, I've had a lot and I've had nothing in my life. I've been well fed and I know what it is to be starving. As he was in prison, he was, and you know what people do when they get so hungry and they are desperate, they do the unthinkable. In the good and in the bad, when you have plenty and when you have lack, you have to learn to be content. Listen, when you see everyone's life prospering, you have to learn to be content where you are at. Like I said, when you see their marriage prospering in the things of God, you have to learn to be content where you are at. When it comes to you and everything seems like a failure, you see like when you do one thing, I've been here, you do one thing and it's like, man, God, why am I failing here? God, another thing that I'm failing at. God, why does things always seem to be failing for me, God? Nothing goes my way. I try to do something and things fall through. And it's like, God, why? Why does nothing ever go my way? I've learned to expect the worst. That way I'm not let down. Because when the good things happen, I'm like, man, praise God. And I tell people, expect the worst, man. So when... Good things come, you are happy. But when the bad comes, you already know, man, I was prepared for this. I was prepared emotionally, mentally. I tell my kids, kids, just know, man, I've learned you cannot take people's word. Just expect these things not to happen. So when it does, when it doesn't happen, you already know emotionally, okay, I I knew this was going to happen. Or I kind of had a feeling I was expecting this to happen. But you have to one know one thing that is for that is certain and one thing that is for sure that Christ is on his throne that Christ reigns forevermore you have to know in all your circumstances in all your situations Paul understood this he understood God is on the throne 
God is reigning forevermore. God is reigning for eternity. And it doesn't matter where I am at in my life. I am going to learn to be content. Because I know God reigns. And I know God's promises. And I know God's word is truth. And I know I might have little now. But I know my eternal reward is just lying up ahead. And you go on to read Philippians. And we know Paul says, you know, it's better for me to be here for y'all's edification, for y'all to learn. But ultimately, it's best for me to be in God's glory. I know my prize that is, that is waiting for me. So how to recognize the perception of being stuck? How can you recognize when you are stuck? When you're stuck in the mud, as they say, or you're stuck in life. What what are the symptoms? With the whole COVID thing. Oh, if you cough, if you have this, you have that. What are the symptoms to this illness? What is the symptoms to this spiritual illness? Listen, one of the symptoms of being stuck, or one of the ways that you can tell that you are stuck, is that you have no desire to read. You have no desire to read your word. To pray. Been there. You, you see all hell is breaking loose. And I know, man, I have to pray. But I was like, I don't want to pray. I don't want to pray, man. I don't. I just don't want to do this. You, you feel stuck. It's like, oh, man, but it's like, man, I know this is what I have to do. I have to read. I have to give my word. One of the symptoms of being stuck is you don't want to attend church anymore. That's why you see people come and go. Because they feel this point in their life where it's just like, you know what, man, I just want to forsake everything because things are not working out. I've been going to church. I don't see a change. People give God a time limit. God, if you don't move on X amount, I'm going to give you one week, God. I need to see my life turn around in one week. If you don't move in one week, God, then you're not real. And they leave the things of God. Another symptom is that there becomes a spiritual resistance to partake in the things of God. You don't want to partake in the things of God. You see the church of God is moving. The church is doing this, doing that. And you're like, I don't want to do that. Why? I don't. Because you're stuck. You're stuck hating your life. You're like, what man, I don't care about them. I got the issues of my own. Well, Paul tells us that you have to learn. You have to contend. You have to contend for greater things. You have to push onward. You have to put every hindrance aside, every weight. The Bible tells us you have to put those things aside. You have to seek the mind of God, even if it means forcing yourself. Sometimes you have to force yourself to pray. Sometimes you have to force yourself to read. It's not always that easy. We're not always super spiritual, just flowing around with little alitas and a little halo. No, sometimes, sometimes you have to force yourself to do these things. When you see all hell is breaking loose in your marriage, in your life, that you have to take time to say, you know what, I'm going to grab a chair. I'm going to sit somewhere in my house 
you know what? I'm going to put every distraction away. I'm going to turn my phone off. I'm going to turn the music. I'm going to turn everything off. And I'm going to, you know what, God? I'm going to pray. I'm going to lay a hold of God. God, to help me. I don't want to read my word. But you know what, God? I'm going to start reading that. God, speak to me. God, I need this. As much as I don't want to do this right now, I need you to touch my heart. Establishing dominion in your life is one of the main and key factors. You have to establish dominion. I talked about the definition of dominion, having rule over these emotions, these feelings in your life. When you feel like you just hate your life, why, why, why? You have to take dominion. That's why when we pray, we say, Lord, I take dominion. I take authority by the blood of Jesus, like Sister Jackson. We have to have that boldness. God's given us that boldness. We have to have that boldness before the throne of God. We can't come whimpering, oh, like just all whims before God. No, God, I take dominion right now. God, I bind you, devil. I rebuke you. We have to have that dominion. These are good things. These are good Traits God has given us. We don't try to change who we are, but we try to channel that exactly like you're saying to glorify God's name. If God's given you that boldness, use that to glorify God's name that God may shine his light through you. And we see some guys, women come in here and they're all like, no, use that, man. Use that for God's glory. Find a way. Pray, God, how may I use this to glorify your name? Listen. Perfect example is the children of Israel. We look at the, the we look at the Israelites. They were set free from captivity under Pharaoh. They were set free. They went into the wilderness, but what happened? What happened to them? What happened to the first generation of the Israelites? They died in the wilderness. Why? Because they never gained dominion. They never gained the dominion. They never gained rule over what they were feeling, which ultimately led to their demise. If you don't gain the dominion in your life, it's going to lead to your demise. You're going you're gonna to wither away like the flower. You're no longer going to be a believer. You're never going to have that fire again if you don't ever gain dominion. That is why it's crucial that you be filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says it is power from on the high it is God's power that fills us. It is God's dominion. It's not by our strength, by our might, but by your spirit, says the Lord. It is the spirit of God. It is God's Holy Ghost. And if you don't grab a hold of the dominion and the authority that has freely been given to you, it's freely given to you. It is free for you. You will never leave the state that you are in. That's why you see people constantly just struggle in their life. And things never change. And you hear people, I hate my life. I wish this and I wish that. But they never gain this dominion, this authority in their life. And they always stay the same. Things never change. I was telling this young man yesterday, it's like, you're on this hamster one. You're just running, 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 running. And you never get nowhere. And they stop running and the hamster's off. It just flies off. <laughs> you see it. You go to the Petco and you're there looking at the hamsters. And it just you see it running and it thinks it's going somewhere. 
And it gets tired, and what happens? It, it hits a glass, and it just... And it just goes down, it's like that, you know, the, the cartoons. It's defeated. It's defeated, yeah, it just lays there. It's like a turtle, man, on its back, just... It's not getting anywhere. That is us. I'm looking at that, and I always look at things through a biblical perspective. I'm like, that is us. You probably... You're probably thinking of someone and like, man, I wish this person was here. But you know what? They're not here, but you are here. And you can share this with them. That you will never find the peace Paul had in the middle of his circumstance. Paul had a peace where he was at. Because he learned the secret of being content. Paul says that not if all you know people say, oh, I got this great this great secret. Buy my book, The Five Secrets of Being Successful. And people buy it because, oh, I want to know this. Ooh, what's the secret? You know, they say, if you want to sell a book, put the three keys or you use numbers, use steps, and people will buy your book. The three keys of prospering in your finance. Oh, I want the three keys. Or the five secrets of having a great marriage. Oh, I want the five Oh, what are the secrets? They're not secrets. And you're really like, oh, man. Got me, yeah. I'm a hard, I'm a hard buyer, man. People try to sell me stuff. I'm like, nah, nah, shut them down. My wife feels bad. I'm like, come on, no, no, thanks, man. The people at Walmart in the middle trying to sell the cable. I'm like, nah, I already got it, man. <laughs> I already have that, man. I almost said, nah, I already got that. Or no, thank you. And they're just, like, come on, man, just do what we're gonna do. Let's get out of here. Listen, you cannot lose sight of all the good things Christ has already given to you. What happens is we focus on the bad things rather looking at the good things God has given us. I always tell my kids, it's, it's 8 in the morning. Oh, my day is ruined, Dad. Like, Bro, it's 8 in the morning. You still got all these hours left in the day. Don't say that. Do not say those things. I tell them, do not say those things because you have all day to turn your day around. If you think that way, your day's going to be ruined. Don't ever speak those words. We have to train. We have to learn these things. Do not lose the good things Christ has already given us. Yesterday, we were eating. I always tell my kids, look, don't look at things half empty. Look at them half full. And he was drinking his tea. He's like, look, Dad, my cup's half empty and it's half full. They remember these things. Because he has to learn these things to look at life at the good things, look at your cup, your cup half full. Don't look at all the bad things. Look at the good things Christ has already done. Look at God. Praise God that you have me in your presence because the presence of God is here. So God, thank you for your presence. And so saying, God, why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? Say, God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your wisdom in my life. Look at the good things. The pilot had allowed whatever was going on in his life to overcome the good things he had. The pilot was looking at all the bad things in the house and said, man, I wish I was fishing. I wish I was like the, the disciple Peter who was discouraged, who backslid, and what did he do? He went fishing. We want to give up on life and we just want to go do the easy things instead of fighting to the difficult moments and contending and believing God. He had allowed whatever was going on in his life to overcome the good things he had. One good thing 
that he had was being a pilot. He wished as a young kid that he would one day become a pilot. He had forgot about that. Or he had let all the bad things overcome his life that he couldn't even sit there and say, you know what, man? Praise God that I'm a pilot because I wished as a little kid that I was a pilot. And that could be you this this morning. Man, I wish I had this. I wish that. But yet you forget where God brought you out of. And you cannot focus on what God has done. Listen, you hear people say, oh, the grass is greener on the other side. Well, if the grass is greener on the other side, how about you water your own grass? Water your own grass. Tend to your own grass. Tend to your own needs. Tend to what is lacking in your life. Instead of focusing on what others have. And lastly, you know, we hear this scripture in many situations. It's on shoes. You know, you, you see Steph Curry with his shoes and he has the scripture on there. On another note, that is not even a, a believer. Man. You look at his life, you test the fruits. I do this over there buying, celebrating wine. And oh man, come buy our, our wine brand. Dude. Sorry, I'm going to go off on the rant, dude. That, that irks my nerve because you see these youth look up to this guy. They look up to him. They see him drinking, popping bottles over there at the club. His wife is over there twerking on stage at the rap concerts. And then yet they're like, oh, man, we're, we're believers. And, you know, praise God. I could do all things to Christ. I'm like, man, dude, that's stupidity at its finest. Like, you're leading this young generation. This young generation, when we go and we witness to them, they have a, a close heart to the true gospel because they see these celebrities promoting this nonsense. You see this scripture on T-shirts. On the walls, on little picture frames, in restrooms. But did you ever consider the true meaning of the scripture? Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It tells us, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. And we say, yes, man, hallelujah, man, man, my car won't start. Oh, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, help me. Now, we say these things, but have you ever considered the true meaning of the Scripture? And yes, it has its place in these different aspects and all that, but if we look at where the Scripture comes out of, we see where Paul was at. Paul was in prison, shackled. He understood death is coming. Death is creeping around. He saw, he's reflecting on his life. Everything that he has done. He's reflecting all the people that have forsook him and have loved the world greater than what Christ is. Imagine Paul thinking about this. And then he's, he pins these beautiful eternal wor- words. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. He knew he was about to die. He knew where he was at. He said, you know what, God? I've learned to be content where I'm at because it is you, Christ, who strengthens me. Paul was going through it. Don't think Paul was a super disciple, the super saint that was immune to feelings, immune to human emotions. Paul felt these things. And I believe he was encouraging himself. He had to remind himself, you know what, God? 
It, at least through your strength. It's like I tell my kids, are you scared? No, I'm not scared. Do you know, you know they're scared? And you know they are convincing themselves that, no, I am not scared, which is a good thing. This is what Paul was doing. Paul had to contend for contention against his situation. Meaning he would not accept it, though he's accepting it. He had to contend for contention against his situation. He would not accept it, though he was accepting it. He knew he was going to die. But he also knew, you know what, I accept my death. But you know what, I'm gonna, I, yes, I'm dying of physical death. But you know what, my spirit lives on for eternity. And it is you, Christ, who is going to strengthen me. He knew he wasn't leaving prison. He knew he wasn't leaving. He, he knew it. I'm, I'm going to die. But he would not let his spirit or his faith be shaken. He, he knew, you know what, it doesn't matter what's going to happen to me. My spirit, my faith will not be shaken. Yet we allow our spirit and our faith to be shaken. Any little bump in the road, it's like, oh man, we give up. We surrender. It's like, oh my God, no, I give up. No, we cannot allow our faith to be shaken. Why? Why wasn't Paul shaken? Because it was found and laid upon Christ. His foundation was Christ. Everything he had was laid upon the gospel of Christ. Listen, when you are in those dark hours, when you are in those dark moments in your life, it is going to be Christ who strengthens you. It's going to be the gospel of Christ that's going to strengthen you. It's going to strengthen your walk. It's going to strengthen your faith. This is where the Scripture comes out of. This is what it meant when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he was in a very dark moment in his life. And he knew in those darkest hours, it's only be you, Christ, who's going to help me. It's not going to be my own knowledge. It's not going to be my own earthly Because Paul was wise. Paul knew a lot of things. At the end of the day, he said, you know what? All that stuff is meaningless because it is you, Christ, who's going to strengthen me. Listen, you are going to have to dig deep within yourself and keep a right heart with God. You know, I've done the, the insanity work of me and my wife. You're doing it and the guy's like, dig deep. I'm like, dude, shut up. What do you mean dig deep? I'm digging deep. I'm trying, you're over there trying to jump and you're trying to do these things. And you know, at one time I was fit, man. Not really, but I was getting there. <laughs> my wife's like, my wife's looking at me like, no, you weren't. I was getting there. But you know, you're doing the workout and he's like, dig deep, guys, dig deep, dig deep, come on, man. I'm like, dude, shut up. I'm gonna just throw something at the TV and like, be quiet, man, I'm trying. But you know what? That's what we have to do spiritually. We have to dig deep. Dig deep within yourself. And you have to keep a right heart with God. It's like we, like they say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Cannot throw out what God is doing. You have to keep a right heart with God because right away we put the blame on God. Why God? Why did you allow this? We see these unfortunate things in the world. God, why did you allow these deaths to happen? Whoa, you took Christ out of the school. 
You took Christ out of the job. You took Christ out of this. Now, uh, Mr. Sampson sent me a powerful video about this guy passionate about abortion. Why? Because you've taken God out of the equation. That life is 10% what happens to you. Listen, if you didn't understand anything that I said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react. So how are you going to react this morning? What are you going to do when you are stuck and you hate your life? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Do what you know to do. Read your word. Pray. Fast. Contend. Disciples trying to cast out a demon. They said, why, did this, why didn't this person get delivered? And Jesus said, some things are done through prayer and fasting. Sometimes, or maybe the reason you're not seeing breakthrough in your life is because you haven't fasted for your need. You haven't fasted for that area in your life. If you don't know what fasting is, maybe you want to fast and believe God. It is a spiritual element, a spiritual dynamic that we seek breakthrough through. Jesus said you need a fast. Yeah, I could let you know afterwards or another time. Circumstances, listen, this is powerful right here. Kyle Carpenter of the United States Marine Corps, you look at his backstory, which I don't have time, man, powerful, powerful thing. He threw, he was on top of, he was in Afghanistan fighting the war. He was on top of the roof. They were shooting, man, and then they're on the rooftop and they started throwing grenades. And I thought about that. I was like, dang, dude, imagine you're up on the rooftop and you see all these grenades fall. There is nothing that you can do. But yet this man, this is a man, man. This is a real man. Not what you see now are these these beta guys and feminists, they're not men. This is a man. The Bible says there's no greater love than a man laid down his life for his friends. This guy runs, jumps on these grenades, boom, blows up. Somehow he did not die. And I wish, man, I should put the picture up there. When you look at his face, man, it's, it's, he had to have all the surgery. Listen to what he says afterwards. He's the youngest recipient of the Medal of Honor, I believe. It says, circumstances may be bad. And I say this, and I use this because you've never thrown yourself on top of a grenade. So this guy's been through it. He's been in war. He's fought a real physical war and a spiritual re war recovering. So you have no excuse this morning. You're without excuse. Circumstances may be bad, but you are not your circumstance. And the way you choose to write them out will set the tone for everything that follows. Powerful. He's saying your circumstance, where you're at right now may be bad, but that is not who you are. You are not your circumstances. But the way you choose to write them out, what is the 90% that you're going to do will set the tone for everything that follows. The way that you react to your circumstances will set the pace for everything else. Are you going to be a trailblazer? Meaning, are you going to lead the way from any others? 1 Samuel, let me close with the scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Tells us this is King David. Listen. 
the Bible tells us, and David was greatly distressed. David was greatly distressed, for the people had spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, and every man for his sons and for his daughters. And this is very important for all of us to understand and know. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 6. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. What did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. It doesn't say David went to this person. David, yes, all that stuff is relevant and we know David. What David did. David understood the sanctity of the church, of headship. All that stuff, David understood that. But in this moment of his life, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And you're going to have to make your decision to seek change. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to seek that. No one can do that for you. But you. No one could make you seek the change but yourself. I'm asking, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want the change in your life? You're going to have to seek the Lord. You're going to have to encourage yourself in the Lord. I've been there where I'm just like, God, help me. Because all this stuff is not working. I need you to encourage me. I have to seek that. I talk to my pastor. That's awesome. I could call him whenever I need it. There's moments where I have to encourage myself in the Lord. God, I need you to help me. But how bad are you wanting it? How bad do you want the change? You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to contend. You're going to have to believe God for greater things. That your strength, your encouragement is only found through Jesus Christ. A covetous worldling, I like that word, worldling, worldling, <laughs> meaning as, as little people of the world, if he has ever so much, he will still want more. People of the world, even though he has a lot, they want more things. But a heavenly Christian, though he has a little, has enough. I like every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Listen, this is very vital for us to know. Oh, and God dealt with me about this issue. We're going to go through moments where we feel our life has been snuffed out. Our fire, our zeal. Maybe you're maybe you're on fire for God and everything's going good. That is awesome. And praise God, that is what we pray and contend for. But don't let this catch you slipping. Don't be caught off guard because when these moments do come, that you know, you know what, this could be a reference point to say, you know what, I was preparing myself for this. Just in case it did. Now I'm going through it. Now I have to contend. I have to believe in my darkest hours. Christ, I can do all things through you because you are going to strengthen me. I'm going to have to contend to strengthen myself through you, God. As David strengthened himself and encouraged himself in the Lord, so do I need to do the same. And this morning, maybe you are in that darkest hour of your life. Maybe you are going through it. Maybe you are in the thick of it. 
Maybe you are that hamster that's just been running and running, getting nowhere in life, getting nowhere in your walk with Christ. Maybe you haven't been contending for those things in your life because you've given up. You've given up hope on life. You've given up on every aspect of your life. Maybe you sit at home to yourself and say, you know what? I hate my life. I'm stuck. I hate where I am at in life. That is you just an opportunity this morning to say, you know what, Christ? I want to start anew. I want to start afresh in you, God. I want to rededicate my life to you. I want to give my life to you. I want to make an honest decision for a change in my life. That is you with an uplifted hand as a sign to God saying, you know what, God? That is me. I want to make a change. Praise God. Honest hearts this morning. Now you've lifted your hand. I want you to come to the front. I want to pray with you. I don't want to embarrass you. But I want to believe God for greater things. I just want to lift, lift your hands. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before your throne. 